Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Hi, welcome. This is Fazia Costi, and today we are um, going to be talking about the importance of nurturing a parent relationship and how that relationship impacts children. Um, we have Dana Lamb joining us. She is the author of the Surprise Date Challenge, and we have Dr. Sarah Ball joining us from Nest Psychological Services. Um, so welcome, ladies. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. So uh, I wanted to start our conversation by saying congratulations uh, to Dr. Sarah Bald. Uh, she just had a baby a few weeks ago. And so, yeah, so this is a really exciting time. And so our special guest today is, is, her, is her baby. So welcome, baby Briar. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, I love the name Briar, and I've never met anyone named that. That is just so cool. I fell in love with it. I didn't realize it was Sleeping Beauty's original name until after I chose it. Then I had someone tell me. Oh, that is? Oh, Briar Rose. You're right. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. The original Grim Brother series. It was Briar Rose instead of Aurora. Are you a big uh, were you a big fan of Sleeping Beauty or you just happened to like, like the name? I had no idea that was her name until after I named her that. I belonged to the Brothers Grimm series growing up, but I totally forgot that Briar was her name. Awesome. I did, I did too. I didn't remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a beautiful name. <laughs> yeah. I know my daughter, Emily, really loves it. She, every time she asks about you, she's like, and how's baby Briar? <laughs> so I, I, I haven't asked. So I'm trying to let Sarah have her time with baby Briar. <laughs> Next time I see her, I'll ask. But it's, it's really cute. So, all right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Um, so, Dana, one of the areas of expertise that you have is talking about relationships, uh, primary relationships with couples. So tell us, you know, from your experience, what, what is the most important thing about nurturing that relationship? Nurturing a relationship you, uh, with couples or with, um, with Correct. kids? With couples? Well, I, I would say with the couple, because we're okay. talking today about the importance of nurturing that relationship and how that impacts children. So right. uh, I, I think it's really important to find out why it's important to nurture that relationship. Right. Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is if you, if you, that really is, if you think about it as your, the foundation, your, the romantic partnership between a couple as a family, as part of a family, that's the, like the foundation of your house. If you have a a bad foundation or cracks in your foundation, then your house isn't going to be going to be stable at all. So it's so important that that relationship is nurtured. And I think a mistake that a lot of people make or couples make, especially, hey, you have this, you get married, you're busy with work, then you, you know, when you have kids that people prioritize their kids and not that your kids shouldn't be a priority, but I think to make them a number one priority above your romantic or personal partnership is a mistake because that's the foundation. And if, if you don't keep that strong and your relationship disintegrates and falls apart, what kind of home are you going to have for your kids? And what kind of example will you be leading to them? And, and I think it's more, it's going to be more, more challenging, if, especially if you get divorced and, and your kids are living between two homes. And I speak from experience in that. It's definitely much easier to have a whole and complete home, you know, with two parents. I mean, more, more family, I think is better. So having having two parents and then having um, more support to raise a child and bring them up and work together as a team. So it's really, really important that you nurture and keep that relationship at the forefront and make it a priority for a better family relationship. And you can be an, it, it can be a great example to your kids of what a great relationship looks like. Uh, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, what do you, what do you think, Sarah? 
I think families look very different right now, but whoever is in the household remembering that, you know, we talked a few weeks, a few months ago, um, my days all run together today. Um, a few months ago about the importance of modeling. So mm-hmm. the relationship that's in the household, whatever that relationship might be, I think it's very important to realize that that's being modeled and, you know, whether it be between two parents, whether there's a grandparent living in the household, whether it be, a, you know, two different caregivers, whoever's in that household, the relationship is important because you're modeling to the children of what conflict resolution looks like, of what, you know, how people want to be treated, how to treat other people, how to love one another. All of that is modeled through that relationship within the home, whoever it might be. Yeah, and not just conflict resolution, but just basic problem solving, I think is important to learn also. It's like to watch your parents negotiate that and problem solve. Right, exactly. I, I know for me, growing up, my my parents always put each other first. Um, and I think that's why they lasted for 56 years. Because I always knew that my needs would be taken care of, but I also knew that my needs never came above my parents, like they always took care of themselves first because my, my dad always believed that if you took care of your primary relationship, everything else would fall in place. And he was right. It did. And, and I think we've kind of lost sight of that, of taking care of that, that primary relationship. So um, Dana, so you, you, you have an entire business based around this, around relationships. What are some of the tips that you would give parents to help them maybe nurture that relationship? Well, I think it's very important that you are planning um, special time with each, with each other and date nights. I, I always say that um, having date nights is cheaper than divorce. Um, and so, you know, if somebody says, well, we can't afford to hire a babysitter or can't afford to go out, um, you're either giving excuses, right? Or you're, you're, you're either getting things done or you're giving excuses while you're, while you're not getting them done. And so it's really important to um, set aside the time. And there's always ways to do date night on a budget as well. And if you don't schedule it, it's not going to happen. And I always recommend at least if you can do a date night once a week, so take turns, that would be four dates a month. Great. If you have small kids at home, that may be more challenging. I get that. So at least once, at least once a month, if you're each doing a date, that's twice a month. Where you're when you say doing a date, do you mean the one creating that occasion, or can you right. explain what that means? So if you're okay. planning right once a month, you plan a date and and with your partner, and and then once a month, your partner plans a date for you. That way, it doesn't always fall on one person. I found a lot of it in a heterosexual couple, a lot of time the woman takes the lead and she's always doing the date planning. Well, sometimes it's nice to just sit back and relax, right? And be taken out sure. on a date. So if you're doing that once a month, each of you uh, plans, a, and I like to do surprise dates. So hence the name of our business. So once a month, you plan a surprise date for your partner. And once a month, they plan a surprise date for you. And and schedule it, get it on your calendar, ask your partner on a date, tell them what to wear and keep the rest of it a mystery and surprise because that increases those butterflies and the excitement and that new love feeling. And then doing a new experience that you've never done before actually um, bonds and connects us. This works with your kids, with your parents, with anyone doing a new experience together actually bonds and connects you. And Um, Dr. Arthur Aaron at the University of Stony Brook has done tons and tons of studies on couples and, and it's huge. What a huge, it seems like such a simple thing, but it makes a huge impact in, in relationships. And you don't have to, it doesn't have to be something um, expensive. You could literally climb on the roof of your house and, you know, look at the stars and, and talk about things. That could be a free day. You could do a picnic in your backyard. You can make when your kids go to bed at nine o'clock at night, you could make a tent in your living room and have a little romantic get together. So there are ways that you can do that to keep that connection at home, even when you have kids. So no excuses are allowed. Yeah. I was just going to say like having a cup of cocoa and sitting outside 
you know, watching the stars or something like that, that, that would be nice too. So there's, there's definitely a lot of options that don't really cost a lot of money. Yeah. Have you heard of the penny date? No, please tell me. Okay. So the, (laughs) the penny date, basically you, um, you do, you decide like heads, heads, you go left and tails, you go right. And then you have your, you have, you get in the car and you tell your partner, pick a number between one and 20. You can either pack a little lunch. There's a couple ways you can do it. And, and these are just general ideas. You can Google it. I didn't come up with it, but so you get in the car and let's say they say seven, you go heads. And when you leave your house, you turn, you know, left if it was left. And then you, every time you hit a stop or a T you flip, you flip it. And how many ever times they say, if it was seven times, you do it seven times. And then wherever you end up, that's where you either have your picnic in your car, or maybe you go to the closest restaurant that's nearby. And that's where you might have dinner. Or I heard somebody once say they ended up like in a circle K parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's kind of that adventure or, I mean, you could do 30 and maybe you end up in, you know, a city an hour away, who knows, but just, you know, there's different ways to be, to be creative and do something inexpensive like that. Wow. That sounds like a lot of fun. Actually, that would be a really fun one to do with kids too. You know, like just a nice fun Saturday outing. Right. The Goodwill date is another one too. So you go to Goodwill and you each get like $10, $15. And then you, you pick out an outfit for your partner and they pick out an outfit for you, the funnier, the better. Um, one of our clients, um, she, her boyfriend picked a Christmas sweater for her in July, like a Christmas vest. And then they went to, I mean, then, and then they went to eat at their country club and the, and the waiters and waitresses, um, you know, just were looking at them so funny. And at the end of the night, you know, they finally confessed and told them what they were doing. And their waiter said, oh, we have we've been all been talking about you in the back, wondering what was going on. And it was two couples that did it together as a, the oh, girls surprised funny. the guys on this surprise date. And so you can do, you know, a group, a double date too. I would yeah. see, that, see that ending either very well or very poorly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Sarah, yeah. how about you? You know, um, do you, and uh, do you participate in anything like this? Do you do Anything since Briar has been born to just keep your relationship um, yours? Yes, we have tried our best not to change much. So we're still going out. We're still doing our favorite things. She just comes along for the ride. Um, so we've tried to keep our lives as normal as possible. <laughs> as normal as possible to keep ourselves sane. And to make sure we can care for her because you can't care for your little ones if you're not taking care of yourself. Um, exactly. We got when we did premarital counseling was oh, no matter what happens, at least one week in a month, do something for you as a couple. Um, and I like doing it weekly and we would do it weekly before baby. And I'd say we probably do it every day now. Um, but making sure you carve a time out at least once a month for the relationship because your partner is your right-hand man when it comes to frustrating times, when it comes to difficult times. You got to make sure you have a partner you rely on, you trust, um, and you know, has your back. Absolutely. Kids make it, kids definitely make it, they are romance killers though. It does, it does, they definitely throw a wrench in things and make it more you know, challenging for sure. And I think it takes when, once you do have kids and add that to the mix, it takes a little bit of extra planning and effort. Right. Right. And I can say, you know, right now we do things normal because we've got, isn't mobile yet. Right. Cause yeah, so. she's so tiny. You can just take her with you. So yeah. Mm-hmm. When we're up to when she's moving around or when there's two in the mix, definitely mm-hmm. a game changer too. Mm-hmm. So what do you think you'll do differently when she's a little bit older? question have i thought before ahead no do i remember what day it is no (laughs) (laughs) notifications remember we were recording today 100 i'm still in baby brain mode i'm still in the uh is it who am i what do i do so right right we'd like to incorporate her in our activities and to keep her well of course outdoors so i think the more we do that the better and then babysitters and grandparents are always important too and you know, using your, 
using social supports is incredibly important. So that's probably a good thing. Yeah. Having, um, you know, that is, it is so great if you have a support, a family support system or grandparents that can let you have that date night out. If you, if you don't have that, another great option is to, you know, find another couple that has children, a child or children, a similar age. And a lot of people move and were transplants and they may not have family nearby, but if you can find somebody that you get to know them and know that they're you know, safe and good people and you feel comfortable, you could always trade off a couple hours. So like, you know, Hey, this week have them watch your kids and another week they watch your kids for a couple of hours. So you can have, so you can have a break. Yeah, absolutely. I I know we did that when we lived up in Prescott, we'd have a couple different couples and we would just alternate so that we would have, you know, at least one weekend a month where we could go out and it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think getting plugged into some sort of social network, whether it be, you know, a a faith group or an interest group where there are other parents, other people with children, similar ages is incredibly important too, to help build those social support systems up. If you're not involved in them, when you become parents, finding ones that are open and adaptable to the parent lifestyle is important. Absolutely. You know, I, I think you, you made a good point. I think a lot of times there's, you know, you can rely on families, but when family's not available, you should be able to rely on your support system that's there, like friends or even, you know, churches or synagogues or, you know, faith-based um, organizations that can really have people of similar beliefs, similar values, people you trust, people you know, that can, you know, help watch your kids for a few hours. Yeah, there are a lot of church groups that have that. They'll have once a month, like a parents' night out, where the parent, you can go and they, um, you know, they have um, volunteers that come in to watch all the kids so the parents can go out and have dinner or do have a date night for a few hours, which is really great. A lot of um, churches are, are doing that now. And I, and I think that's a really awesome thing that they're doing, which allows people to go and spend some time together. What I like about what you're doing is that you make the date night interesting. You know, having that surprise date challenge, I think, makes it more interesting. So doing something completely new, doing something that's exciting, um, I think that makes a huge difference in keeping that relationship even healthier than it could be otherwise. Would right. you agree with that? Oh, Yes. I mean, for sure. I mean, there's actually been so many studies that have shown that, that the surprise element is kind of like Esther Perel says from Mating in Captivity. Um, She wrote, she's a psychologist who wrote uh, Mating in Captivity. And she says, we need two things in relationship. We need stability. Uh, You know, you want to know your partner has your back, but we also um, need desire in relationship. And what increases desire is the unknown. It's a little bit of risk. And then as you couple up, the stability is kind of boring, <laughs> which, but we need it. And so it actually kills desire. And so the, like, the two things that we need kind of conflict for relationships. So adding that mystery and surprise um, adds a little bit of risk and a little bit of the unknown, which increases that desire that we need in relationship. And then as Arthur Aaron says, when we do, when you do, um, new and novel things that you've never done before, it bonds and connects you. So there was a study that was done and they had couples who had been married for a significant, you know, long-term relationships and they had them into broken out into three groups. So one group for 10 weeks wasn't allowed to go on any dates at all. Another group could do a date once a week, but it had to be something like their usual date. So if it was bowling or dinner in a movie, that would be the date they would do. And the third group, they were uh, they had to go on a date once a week and they couldn't do anything um, that they had ever done before. It had to be a new experience together. And what they found is doing nothing and doing the same thing has zero relation, uh, impact to a relationship. So if you're going to do the same old thing, you might as well do nothing, really. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily harm it, but long-term it does because it it just doesn't help. But what they found is the couples that did the new experience for 10 weeks, they, um, their relationship improved 
that they felt more bonded. They felt more connected to each other. They felt more in love with each other. And so, yes, planning at one surprise date a month can definitely increase your, and preferably if you can do it every week, if you're able to with the time and the budget, highly recommended to uh, keep your relationship on fire. Very nice. Um, Sarah, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. So that definitely, that definitely hits at the theory of habituation. So if you think of when you're in an elevator with a stinky person, you know, first few floors up, you can smell them the whole time. And then you stop smelling them after a while because your nose adjusts to the scent. Maybe not in an elevator because it's a short ride. Um, but if you're doing tall, the, 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 depends on how tall the building is, right? That's true. <laughs> yeah. So if you're going to, the, I don't know, Empire State Building, something really tall, <laughs> then you're not going to smell them by the top floor. <laughs> by the right. same house. Um, but the same thing goes with dates. I mean, if you're doing the same thing every time you're going out, then it just becomes part of the routine. And it's just, you're going about day by day and you're not thinking about it anymore. It's just, this is what we've always done. So we're going to keep doing it. So definitely mixing it up. I can, I, I see from the psychological standpoint, the research and where it comes from. Cause it's like, yes, our, our brain needs the change or else it just falls in this pattern. And it tucks it away of, Oh, this is just your routine. This is an automatic skill. I'm just going to go about without giving it much thought. Whereas the surprise dates, you have to give it a lot of that because it's something new. It's stimulating. It's constantly re-grabbing your attention instead of your brain just being like, oh, check. I know what we're doing here. Let's just go. Yeah. Well, it's funny how uh, earlier you were saying something about bowling. I think, Dana, you brought up bowling. And and I thought, you know, it, it's not the the actual act of bowling, but it's the act of doing something, the same thing every weekend. Like some people do like to go bowling every week, but having that, you know, or playing soccer or having that regular thing in some ways can be very comforting, right? but in another way, it can also be just um, kind of sucks the joy out of your life yeah. and doesn't allow you to really move forward and, and, and have that wonderful excitement that we all crave. Right. I think it, I've also read it helps with Alzheimer's or preventing that. It helps with your brain by doing new experiences or even taking a new new route. And because we get we are creatures of habit where, you know, you drive the same way to work every day or home. And so taking different routes is supposed to be better for your brain. And I think doing, you know, having these new experiences. So trying beekeeping or goat yoga or ax throwing or rock climbing. I mean, there's so many, a cooking class, the mixology class, the painting class, you know, just doing, there's so many um, really amazing, cool, unique things out there in the world for us to, to try. And I would think that travel falls into that, you know, just constantly traveling and learning about new cultures and people and experiences and, 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 the customs and the clothing and the food and all that wonderful stuff, I think really opens our eyes to new, new experiences and, and, and really helps us see the world in a different way. Yep. I so, remember my um, son when we were in Cambodia, he said, mom, I realized that people here in Cambodia are just like we are, <laughs> you know, that's, that's I thought so that was cute. really cool. Like to see that people, people are people no matter where you are in the world. Right. Exactly. Well, ladies, we have to take a break here in just a minute. I want to thank you both for being on here and um, sharing your your wonderful knowledge and expertise. Um, If you'd like to get in touch with Dana Lamb, she's the author of the Surprise Date Challenge and the SurpriseDateChallenge.com, correct? Yes. Okay. And if you'd like to get in touch with Dr. Sarah Bald, you can go to Nest Psych, I think it's dot com. Did I get that right? Like Beautiful. If you'd like to get in touch with me, it's executivefunctioncoachaz.com. And make sure when you go to my website that you um, register or subscribe to our upcoming magazine, Executive Function Coach. Uh, I'm sorry, Executive Function Magazine is the name of the magazine. Um, the website is executivefunctioncoachaz.com. And um, <clears throat> If you'd like to get in touch with me for a free consultation, you can also call me at 480-707-3356 or 480-648-1122. And we will be back after these messages. Thank you for listening.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Fawzia Costi is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Fozzie works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fozzie, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fazia Costi or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at Executive Function Coach AZ.com. Now, back to Focus on Success. Hi, welcome back. I'm Fazia Costi, and today I'm talking to Dana Lamb, the author of The Surprise Date Challenge, and Dr. Sarah Bald of Nest Psych um, Psychological Services. So, welcome, ladies. How are you doing today? We're doing doing well, <laughs> I hope. Doing good. Lucky right. in there for a second, but we're doing good. <laughs> yeah. So uh, baby Briar has now moved on and she's hanging out with her daddy. So hopefully um, everyone we, can hear me a little bit better this time. Yeah. So, um, so Sarah, uh, we, you know, um, Dana has talked quite a bit about her perspective and she's done such a wonderful job of telling us, you know, the importance of keeping that primary relationship strong and healthy and ways to do that. What is, you, you work with a lot of kids. So tell us about the impact positive relationship can have on children. You have a huge impact. Um, I see families across all different walks of life. I see every sort of family out there. I see single parents. I see divorced households. I see intact households. I see blended families. You know, there's, there's lots of right ways to do the family, but there are lots of wrong ways to do family as well. Um, I, I and- like that you said that, that there's lots of right ways to do that so that we don't all have to fit into one little square or, you know, exactly. we don't have to do it one way. I like that. Right. And I think what, what we're taught and what we're fed, there's this, there's this idea of parent shame. Um, I always talk about mom shame, but it really is parent shame of, well, there's two routes it comes from. One is social media. Uh, we see all of our friends. And what do we post on social media? We post the good, good stuff. Times. Yep. We always post the good stuff. We never post the bad stuff. We have a few Facebook friends out there who do post the bad stuff all the time. And we're like, okay, moving on. Um, but predominantly, what we see is the good stuff. So we compare ourselves to these fake lives that people put out on the internet. You see the, the social influencers do. Everything's always going right for them all of the time. They don't post all of the heartache behind the scenes. The mommy of the year moments. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, from standards, family standards, family norms, what we hear from others, you know, especially I was joked about it, but now that I do have a child, I get a lot of, well, you should be doing this. Well, you should be doing that. And so-and-so did it this way. And so-and-so did it that way. So we've created this same structure with individual interactions of, well, this is what worked for me or my baby was what I hear a lot is, Oh, my baby was sleeping through the night at this age. I'm like, well, that's cool. Like, good for you. I'm still getting up every two hours a night. I still sound like a crazy person. I don't know where I am half the time. because I'm not getting any sleep right now. So I'm congratulations. Your child was sleeping through the night at five weeks old. Mine's not. Um, I think they forgot. 
Although, you know, I was just thinking. How old was their baby? (laughs) You know, my first baby slept through the night. My second one did not. And, and I can't imagine anyone telling me how their child did something so right. And and mine didn't because every child is different too. Every, you know, so. Well, and the, the, what is it? The American Academy of Pediatrics or the American Pediatric Association, the pediatrics, the peds out there. Um, they all say at least at the very least before two months, there's no norms. Like there's vague, your baby should be doing this, might be doing this before two months. They don't even have an established circadian rhythm by two months old. So there's no, yes, your baby should fit into this box. Um, just like with families, families were told need to fit into a box of this is how the family should be, but it, it's not how the family should be. It, it could look like a lot of different things and be successful in a lot of different ways. Well, that's why we give ranges. Like your baby should technically crawl sometime around X and B and, and Y. Right. But if they're a little bit later, it doesn't mean that they still won't do what they need to do. Exactly. You know, they can still become an Olympic swimmer. (laughs) You know, they can still do something (laughs) fabulous. (laughs) Well, and there's, there's clearly, you know, I, in my field, even in my day to day, I'm asking parents about developmental milestones when they achieve certain steps, there is a range. I do have concerns if it's before, after the range, but for the most part, there is a range. Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the um, recommendations that you give to your parents when they come to you with struggles about their family? How do you encourage them to keep that primary relationship healthy? How do you, how do you talk to them about the importance and how it impacts their children? I think I've used my, my example many, many times in the show, but I'm going to just say it again because you never know. Um, you got to put on I your know what it is. <laughs> you know what it is. You got to put on your oxygen mask before you assisting other people in a plane. That's what I tell everybody. And I've said it on the show probably every single episode. But Um, it's true. But it's very true. Yeah. Because your relationship with your partner or whoever's helping raise your children, whether they're in your house, whether they're not, whether they're an ex, they're in an intact family, whatever it might be, the, the person you're raising your children with, that has to come first to some degree. And it depends on obviously the situation in the family. But it has to come first because that has cascading effects on the rest of your parenting, the rest of your success with your child. So if you aren't feeling good in your partnership or with the person you are co-parenting with, then that is going to have effects on the child. It's going to have cognitive effects, emotional effects. You know, we think about spiritual development, physical development, it can have impact across all areas of development, if that partnership isn't effective, if it's not there, if it's not healthy. Yeah, I see it a lot in academics. You know, I see a lot of parents that come, their child has academic issues, but the parents don't even talk to each other. And they wonder why they're having relationships, relationship issues with their child. Um, so I, I see a lot of issues like that also. Um, I'm just curious. So as we we're talking, I, I started thinking about like military families or families that travel, you know, where one spouse travels a lot. Um, how can they sh- make sure that their relationships are intact? Communication. Have- what were you going to so say? Are, <laughs> yeah, I was say so no, I, I like your answer, communication, but how can they communicate? Because for Military individuals, they can't always communicate on a regular basis. Um, So what are some tips that you might offer? Well, I think about, so we're talking about in a a parenting setting. Correct. Um, Because when it's a sole couple, that's a little bit different. Um, There are other considerations. But when I think about the parenting unit, I think about the kids. So how do we have communication with the kids about the parent who is traveling for work, whether it be military, whether it be, you know, truck drivers, whoever it might be who's traveling. Um, How do we have communication with the child about the parent who's not present? Being very mindful of what communication with that parent looks like in front of the child. 
So when we are off the phone or when we don't get to communicate, especially when I think of military, you know, they're not available to just call up one day and say, Hey, how's it going? I want to check in. So what are you communicating to the child when you yourself are frustrated that you can't communicate with your spouse? And what are you communicating to your child when you are on the phone with them, when you do get to have contact with them? And then when you're hanging up that contact, what are, what are you modeling? What are you demonstrating to the child in that moment? And what are you communicating to the child? So Dana, you've been very quiet. Do you have something to add? No, I'm, I'm listening to Sarah and she's, I mean, I agree with everything that she's, that she's saying it is really, and I, I actually was in a little bit of a high conflict divorce and, and I, I know I've seen firsthand how that like communication, even when you're not in a a co-parent, I mean, when you're co-parenting, but maybe not together, how that even if one parent has the animosity towards the other parent and the other parent is you know, trying to smooth things over as much as possible, it still, you know, really affects your, your kids. So I think that communication, I also think back to a time when um, my son, when um, I was married and I don't, he was probably maybe 10 and his dad and I were having a a heated debate. We weren't fighting by any means. We were, you know, we were, we were talking about something and I mean, it wasn't even heated. It was just, we had a difference of opinion. And I was like, no, I think this. And he was like, no, I think it should be this way. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but he's like, well, you guys quit fighting. And I'm like, we're not fighting. We're having a conversation. (laughs) And it was just really interesting how a 10 year old saw that. Like he you know, and just trying to share with him, well, we're, it's okay to, you can disagree. You don't always have to, just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you're fighting, you know, that to just share that with him. You know, when when, I think my parents were, when I was 16, my, uh, my mom and dad were doing that and it was really uncomfortable for me. And so afterwards I went to my dad and I said, dad, why are you fighting? And he's like, we're not fighting. That's recreational arguments. We are just ar- <laughs> it's like, we're just working things out. He's like, that's nothing right. to worry about. It's communicating. So- it wasn't fighting. It was communicating. But it was, it was interesting how, you know, yeah, younger people see that because um, I've noticed, I, and I don't know if it's even more so now, but like, I think my kids really um, avoid any type of conflict at all. And I think part of that has to do with how we communicate now via devices and texting and emailing that, you know, for them to verbal, verbally communicate. I mean, it's, a, it's so important as a parent and being this great role model of being able to verbally communicate, not just via text or, or email with someone. Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, Sarah, you were going to say something? Oh, I, I totally lost it. I went down another rabbit hole. Oh, about, like, I'm sorry. No, yeah. you're totally fine. I'm like, I don't know what I was saying, but now I have <laughs> No, I, I think it's really important to be able to communicate. You're you're right in that kids these days, they they use text a lot. They use, um, you know, very nonverbal communications. And I, I think it's really important that they learn that not every discussion is an argument and that not every argument is a negative thing. You can have a heated discussion and argument, but the point of that is to come to a resolution, not, not to be superior to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused about, you know, negotiating in an argument. They want to win and it's not really about winning or losing. It's about coming to a resolution that you can both mm-hmm. live with. Mm-hmm. Which okay. may include compromise. They probably should. I think maybe debate clubs should be something that is <laughs> a class that all kids should have to take. I do. You know I what? I love debates all the time. You what? Do you? I recommend Toastmasters all the time. Oh, oh yeah. Because it's it is very important to learn those mm-hmm. skills and and what I I might jog my memory for a second. Um, kids are under, underdeveloped emotionally. And especially the bright kids who can communicate, who do have those great lawyer-esque skills, um, we forget that they aren't emotionally mature like adults yet. And so they perceive things like arguments or heated discussions or debates as arguments because this feels more stressful than I'm used to. And then you 
tie in the nonverbal interaction of we're all texting. You can't really read tone over text, so they're not being exposed to it, especially after last year and a half of only doing virtual. You're missing a lot out on a lot of the nonverbals and the tone. Mm-hmm. So they just don't have that experience. And so everything feels very tense when it might not be. I just saw a thing on, and I can't remember, I think it was one of the, um, I'm not sure, I, I think it might have been the Naval Academy, don't quote me on that, but it was something I saw on CBS Sunday morning, and they were even talking about they've added extra classes on social skills and communicating at the university because people, because the kids coming in today, because of the texting and everything, don't know how to read people and their tones and things like that, um, because they're so used to communicating via devices and just even those social skills and how to sit down at dinner and which fork to use and, and all of that social element. Mm-hmm. Kind and of then also what trying to be mindful of as a new parent is because even early on, eye contact is incredibly important with infants and with toddlers. And so when we have devices and we're always on devices and the work phone's always ringing or the emails are popping up, we're losing a lot of that eye contact with infants. And so it is shaping social development because they're not getting that early on experience that this is how I connect with another human being. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think also we have a rise in autism, the diagnosis of autism also. And I think that right there shapes social experiences for individuals. So there's so many factors that are really impactful in, in, in our lives right now. And, and I think it's important that we keep those primary relationships solid so that kids can feel secure. They can feel safe. They can feel like they're in an environment where they can have recreational arguments and discuss things. And, and there's no negative emotions you know, wrapped in it. It's just a matter of resolving issues just to be able to problem solve. I, I work with so many kids who just really do not know how to problem solve. They think any level of conflict is a fight and it's not, it's not a fight. It's a, it's a discussion. It, it can be heated, but it's still just a discussion and it has room for resolution. It has room for, you know, both perspectives. It has room to be something completely different if you're just willing to sit there and listen and I think parents need to model that. They need to really model that behavior so that kids can grow up feeling that it's it's okay to have conflict because that also goes outside of the home into the workplace. So if they can't resolve conflict at home, how can they do it at work? And that's going to impact their job, their college career, their ability to get raises or you know any kind of you know way to move up in the in the workplace. And that's my cautionary tale with the big parenting, I don't know, instruction manuals is the word I can come up with right now. Um, but any of the big parenting programs where and I think of some of the positive parenting programs, some of the punitive parenting programs, it's taking all those with a grain of salt and integrating them and not going too deep into one area. Because sometimes mm-hmm. with things like positive parenting, you can go to where now I just want to be kid's friend and everything's okay, and we don't use the word no, but then they get into the real world situation, and now they're being told no by their boss. So walking a fine line between, you know, not being punitive, obviously, in parenting, but how do you incorporate positive parenting with appropriate consequences? How do you consequence behaviors instead of children? Um, I have have a wrench that I can throw in that. So my youngest son has um, Asperger's, and he's an Mm -hmm. Aspie, and so neither reward nor punishment works with him, neither. And I'm like, I didn't know what to do with that. Like it has been a huge learning experience, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it really has taken, for me, it's all been communication and compu- communicating with him because um, consequences don't matter. He's going to do what he wants to do. And so more it's been communicating with him to get him to understand um, cause he doesn't care about the consequences, like why he may want to make different choices, <laughs> but it took me forever. It. it took me forever to figure that out. And it still doesn't always work, but you do the best you can. Yeah. 
and and things will start working and they'll stop working a little bit later. <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> yeah. So we have about four minutes. Um, are there any last bits of advice that you would give parents to keep their relationships strong? Um, are there any bits of advice you would give them um, to maybe avoid certain pitfalls in their relationship to maybe have a more positive impact on their children? I'll just, I mean, reiterate, it's so important. Make sure you, you're scheduling a date with your, your partner, but also I think with your kids individually, I think is really great for building those bonds. So I do surprise dates with my kids and sometimes I do it together. I have two. So I do, well, sometimes we do it together, the three of us. Sometimes I do it one-on-one so we can have that special time together too, which nurtures and our relationship and makes them feel very special. Um, but really making sure that you prioritize your um your partnership. And, and since I'm, I'm in the relationship business of couples, so I'm speaking more of that romantic partnership, of course. Yeah. It, you know, um, I, I did, I did that and it didn't work for me. Um, <laughs> clearly I'm divorced, so it, it did not work for me, but I think there were other issues in my relationship besides just date, date night. But I, um, I did that with my kids every Wednesday, my younger daughter and I had a date night and my older one, she would pick a different date every week, but we did a date night every single week. And um, the way I did it, I had them choose where they wanted to go. So my younger one, every Wednesday, she would get so excited and it was always a big surprise for me. And and I just got to show up and, and enjoy a fun evening. And she loved to plan the dates and you know, it was just an exciting day for her. My older one didn't really like the planning process, but she would, she would say, okay, I want to go see a movie Friday night, but she wanted me to pick the movie. So she wanted it to be more of a mutual discussion, mutual experience. And so I don't think it really matters as far as, you know, that I think as long as you're just doing something with your yep. kids, doing something with your partner and and making those relationships really matter because, you know, they're yours for life. You know, once you're a family, you're a family, regardless of whether you're divorced or not divorced, you, you need to make it work. So any last uh, comments, Sarah? Yeah. You know, I think about the, the partnership and the effect on children, obviously being mindful that how you communicate with your partner does have impact on your children is important. And there's four, it's the, the Gottman Institute, the Gottman's, um, they are couples therapy experts. They're grand poopas in my eyes, but they have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the four horsemen of the relationship apocalypse, and keeping those in mind. The first is criticism. So using a lot of you statements in, in your relationship can lead to criticism. So changing that around to I statements. There's defensiveness, there's contempt, and there's stonewalling. Stonewalling being, I'm just shutting down. I'm building a stone wall and I'm not talking to you anymore. So ask yourself, be mindful in situations when you are having, you know, recreational heated discussions. Um, <laughs> am I being a critic right now? Am I stonewalling my partner and just shutting them down? Am I being defensive in any way? Um, or do I have contempt towards them? Am I judgmental? in the way I'm speaking to my partner and just keeping those, those four things in mind in your communication with your partner and remembering that this is your, your partner at arms when it comes down to the difficult times with kids. So how do I keep them in my, in my corner? Absolutely. And I think it's really important to know that it takes two to be in a relationship. You know, you have to make sure that you're doing your part. And, you know, it's not always just about, is your partner doing their part? You have to do your part also. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I really you have appreciate to give a hundred percent. I was going to say relationships aren't 50, 50, they're a hundred, a hundred, a hundred and a hundred. Yeah. Oh, I have to say one other funny thing. So I don't know. Paul Reiser wrote couplehood 
He also wrote Parenthood, but couplehood was so funny. And one of the things he says is the, the reason we couple up and are in relationships is because so that when one of you goes crazy, which will always happen, like the other person, the same person will like keep everything in check. So like you, you can only, both of you can't go crazy at the same time. You have to have your crazy moment separately. And the other person kind of picks up the pieces. And I, I just, it was, it's a really funny book. <laughs> That is hilarious. I'm going to have to read that. That's really funny. It's an old one. I don't know if you can still find it, but it was good. Yeah. Well, I I just really appreciate both of you being here today. Thank you so much. Um, And if you'd like to both give your information in case anyone would like to get in touch with you, let's go ahead. And Dana, would you like to go first? Sure. I'm Dana Lamb and you can find me at surprisedatechallenge.com and um pick up any of our books or look at our date of the month club. Thank you so much, Dana. All right, Sarah, you're up. I'm Dr. Sarah Balls. I'm a pediatric neuropsychologist. You can find me at www.nestpsychaz.com. You can email me from there with any questions, thoughts, consultations, anything. Thank you so much. Um, So, These two wonderful ladies um, give their time to share their wonderful expertise uh, with you. If you have any questions, feel free to um, let us know. If you want to ask me any questions or if you have questions for us on Parenting Pulse and you'd like us to answer your questions on the air, you can send them to me. Um, My email is fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. You can also go to my website, executive functioncoachaz.com and you can register, I'm sorry, subscribe to our upcoming magazine, Executive Function Magazine. Um, Both Sarah, Dr. Sarah Bald and Dana Lamb have articles coming out in that magazine. It launches January 10th. So if you'd like to read about their, um, read their articles, feel free to subscribe to that magazine. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you'd like to, um, Maybe call me for a free consultation. You can do that as well. Go to executivefunctioncoachaz.com and there is a tab somewhere on there at the very bottom where it says contact us and you can get in touch with me there. And um, thank you so much for listening. We uh, really appreciate it. It's because of you that we are here. So like I said, if you have any questions, feel free to let us know. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.